explore the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary, As We Speak, Rap Music on Trial. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation. Man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts. Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. That's right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. If you're going to blitz, come strong. But don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe. Let me go ahead and bring in the rest of the team. We're not going to waste any time. We are recording this on the eve of the open of the early signing window. We've got a lot to get to and not a lot of time to get to it, so let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Other than uh, my open con- uh, containing a mention from the uh, redundancy department of redund- <laughs> the Department of Redundancy Department, uh, I'm great. Uh, the third member of our team is always great. He is a Renaissance man, uh, but for the purposes of this show, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn 2002 UT All American 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL when he was done with football he got himself back to austin texas and the 40 acres where he earned his degree whenever that team ring comes back in we will make sure he wears it proudly nevertheless he is a card carrying member of dbu and when you get that all-american honor recognized by the ncaa they make sure you get one of those black cards number 21 in your program number one in your hearts mr rod babers thank you for the intro brother appreciate that as no always. problem so where do you guys want to start first we got a couple things we can get to oh, we can man. get to offensive line additions slash Quinn Ewers, slash talent acquisition, or we can get to the Gary Patterson stuff. Probably should start with the that talent acquisition first. Yes, I yours is a pretty big deal. Yours is, I think, the big story. And then that's the, the lead. Yeah, yeah. It's a hell of a place to start. Quinn Ewers uh, in the 24-7 sports composite rankings, even when he reclassified to the class of 2021. There's only two guys that have received a, basically a perfect composite score in the history of the 24-7 sports composite, and the data compiled for that goes back to the year 2000. It's Quinn Ewers and Vince Young. That's it. That's the list. Uh, he got one hell of an apprenticeship, got a redshirt year at Ohio State, learning under Ryan Day. Obviously, it was behind C.J. Stroud, who he's not letting go of that job anytime soon. So Quinn Ewers hits the transfer portal. It's coming back to Texas where he was once committed. And, you know, I, I've Rod, as you can see, we're heading up on signing day, so my notepad is mm-hmm. chock full of oh, yeah. numbers. And I think this is what it boils down to. Two things. One, well, something we always talk about. You've got to constantly make sure that you're at the forefront. You're proactive in terms of acquiring quarterbacks and making sure your quarterback room has plenty of talent. And, Rod, I actually expounded on some numbers uh, that you give about Texas history with quarterbacks in the post-Colt McCoy world, basically since Colt signed in 05, how that deal has looked. But I went through and crunched some more numbers. And 
We saw this with Georgia in the SEC championship game. And look, I, I, we know Texas is in this rebuild, and, and if Sark has a chance to do it the right way and he's given time, we'll see if he can build Texas back into where. I don't know if it's going to be a run, Rob, that started when you played at Texas from 01 to 09 where Mac won over 100 games in a national championship and played for another and probably should have played for a couple more yeah. uh, and won a couple of Big 12 titles. I don't know if it'll be another run like that, but at least you can set yourself up to where five and seven seasons are very much in the rearview mirror. Uh, to do that, you win with elite quarterback play. To win at the highest levels of college football, you win with the elite quarterback play. Texas isn't there, but if they're going to get there, they've got to have elite quarterback play. I broke this down. Now, I did not include the quarterbacks in this year's college football playoff. That would be Cade McNamara at Michigan. I don't know who's going to start for Georgia in their bowl game. I don't know if it's going to be Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels, uh, but the dichotomy there, Stetson Bennett, I think we saw in the SEC championship game again, as with the Alabama game last year, Good quarterback, not an elite quarterback. Probably not a guy you go win a national championship with. Uh, JT Daniels was a five-star prospect coming out of high school. We saw him his freshman year here at DKR against uh, Texas when he was with USC. And then you've got Bryce Young, the five-star, and then uh, Desmond Ritter, who is the outlier. He was a three-star prospect who signed with Cincinnati in 2017. So take those four guys out of the mix. The previous 20 in the college football playoff era, there were 20 different quarterbacks have advanced to the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. And there's different levels of elite. It starts with recruiting of those 20 quarterbacks, five or five-star prospects coming out of high school. Jameis Winston, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Tua Tagovailoa, and Kyler Murray. Seven were four-stars. The other four-star, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Jake Fromm, Deshaun Watson, Jake Browning, JT Barrett, and Blake Sims. So of the 20 previous quarterbacks that advanced their teams to the college football playoffs, 12 of them were blue-chip quarterbacks coming out of high school. Makes sense. Okay, so that's the elite part of it. Uh, then you get to elite quarterback play at the college level. Let's take the recruiting part out of it. Five Heisman winners among those 20. Uh, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow. Tua Tagovailoa, for what it was worth, was also a national player of the year. was the AP player of the year in 18. Also won, I think, the Maxwell and the Walter Camp Award last year. So basically he won every national player of the year award except the Heisman Trophy. Yeah. Five number one overall draft picks. Uh, that would be... Winston, Mayfield, Murray, Burrow, and Trevor Lawrence. A total of 10 first-round picks. Those five plus uh, Mariota, Mac Jones, Deshaun Watson, Mm -hmm. Justin Fields, and Tua. And 15 total draft picks. Those 10 plus Jalen Hurts, Jake Fromm, Cardell Jones, Connor Cook, and Ian Book. Basically, the only outlier here, the the major outlier uh, of a three-star quarterback. There's only been two three-star quarterbacks that have taken their team beyond the semifinals and won a championship. One was Mac Jones, who was who led maybe, who I think we've seen has turned out to be a pretty good player, number yeah. one. And number two was part of maybe the greatest college offense we've ever seen. Yeah, NFL the first had. And then Jake Coker, who was Alabama's quarterback in mm-hmm. 2015. But I went back, guys, and looked at that Alabama offense in 2015. Mm-hmm. Uh, three future first-round draft picks, O.J. Howard, Calvin Ridley, and Ryan Kelly. That was uh, also Derrick Henry's Heisman year. He had a total of four future NFL wide receivers, a future NFL tight end, three future NFL running backs. Think about that. Damian Harris was your number three running back on that team. Alvin Kamara transferred out of that class. And then six future NFL offensive linemen. So Jake Coker was surrounded by just an absurd amount of talent. That class, when he committed, it was like Derrick Henry, Kenyon Drake, another NFL running back, and Alvin Kamara all came to Alabama the same year. So, yeah, that's uh, Jake Coker is the outlier. But basically, Rod, it doesn't matter 
we can talk about the year Casey Thompson had and maybe what he might have done had he not suffered the thumb injury, or we can talk about Hudson Card's upside, but the bottom line is if you've got a chance to add an elite talent, a potentially transcendent talent like Quinn Ewers, you do it and you don't think twice. Yeah. No, I mean, that's why you saw Xavier Worthy, you know, changing his Twitter profile mm-hmm. pic to Quinn Ewers. I'm sure that Casey Thompson and Hudson Card didn't appreciate that, but the fact of the matter is um, they, sh- you know, they should be looking forward to the competition. I mean, this is one of the highest-graded prospects in the history of recruiting at the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be a competition, and you know that's just the reality of it. You're always trying to upgrade at that specific position. That's the reality of playing quarterback in this day and age, too. They know that. That's yeah. why the transfer portal is as robust as it's ever been when it comes to quarterback. Now you got what, Bo Nix in the, in the transfer portal. Spencer Rattler just came through. Now he's at South Carolina, went through the transfer mm-hmm. portal. That's how we landed Calzada. yours. Yeah, Kedon Slovis. Slovis. I, it's just that's the reality of it now. I yeah. mean, everybody's trying to upgrade there, and every quarterback who isn't the guy, QB1 at their particular school, they probably are looking at greener pastures. That's just the world we live in now. Hell, even if your quarterback started double-digit games for last year, ain't no guarantee he's going to stay there. It's that's how, where we are. Ask the Aggies. That's, that's where we are in this day and age. It's how we had the chance mock conversation a <clears throat> couple weeks ago. You know, at the time, he was the highest-rated play, or efficient, most efficient passer in the country whenever Vince Young was coming up. It's no coincidence. Jeff yep. goes off the list of elite quarterbacks that win championships. The last time Texas won one was with Vince Young. And then along the same lines, the last time you got a recruit this big, Evan, it isn't in like just Texas history. It's in the history of their composite rankings for 20 years, and it's no coincidence that you get a guy that's that highly rated. Yeah, you do whatever you can to go get them, and it's tough for the guys that miss out, but that's just football. That's going to happen no matter where you're at, and it's going to fuel more competition, and it's just awesome to see the talent acquisition at Texas. The hope is that if you're Casey Thompson or Hudson Card, I know this sounds crazy, but that you're going to be Colt McCoy, right? Colt McCoy mm-hmm. going against Jevin Sneed. He said Jevin Sneed was a five-star. He said, and everybody expected Jevin Sneed had a mm-hmm. higher he had a higher ceiling, uh, projected to be more of an NFL quarterback, yep. and that Colt McCoy had to go out and beat out Jevin Sneed. And I'll tell you why that actually was a bit miraculous. Not only because now we know that Cole McCoy was one of the greatest quarterbacks in college football history and still doing the damn thing in the league, but because Mac Brown always called quarterback competitions on the side of the higher upside quarterback. Always. Even mm-hmm. between Chris Sims and Major Applewhite, he called that competition and said, nah, Sims gives us a higher ceiling. We're going yep. with the Sims kid. And he, I know people don't like it, Mark but B-Y. he was right to a certain extent. That's why you end up getting B.J. Johnson, Roy Williams, and Sloan Thomas. You don't get the those guys and later on get said Benson you don't get those guys if you don't have Sims as QB1 they didn't want to come here to play with Major Applewhite I know you don't I know y'all love them but they didn't they didn't want to come here to play with Major they wanted to come here to play with Sims right same thing's going to happen with Queen Ewers to a certain extent and the same thing Mac did with the VY Chance you just brought it up right yeah. Chance was a very capable quarterback mm-hmm. if that was a true quarterback competition it should have went on more Mac said no 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 we're going with the higher upside quarterback. Yeah. I'm calling this competition. And and coach head coaches have that power. They have that veto power essentially to call even though they, they for the culture, for the sake of the culture of the team, you have to have an open quarterback competition. If you do not, that's bad. Even mm-hmm. if that guy is the best quarterback, everything on the everything on the team should be open to competition. Yeah, leaks that's the beauty of it, right? Exactly, right? You want you want a meritocracy there. So it will be an open competition, but the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, size Carter B size, but is Coach always reserves the right to call the competition and go, no, 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 
I like that guy better. Mm-hmm. He's the head coach. Yep. And something tells me in this competition, if Quinn Ewers doesn't completely separate himself, um, he'll call it for Quinn yeah. Ewers. Just, mm-hmm. And I think Casey and Hudson Carter are smart enough to understand that's history. That's the way it works on most football teams at every level. If you have a transcendent talent coming in, like a Chris Sims or a Vince Young, um, you know, and they're going up against, you know, another quarterback who is not considered transcendent, coach will often call it for the quarterback with the higher upside. But Cole McCoy actually mm-hmm. flipped the script. Yeah. And then he had players coming to him, coming to Coach Brown saying, advocating, saying, no, 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 Coach, I know you like Jevin C because he's got the big arm and he fits the measurables in the profile, but Cole McCoy, he's the guy. Yeah. He's the guy. And then Mac Brown actually did something. He went kind of went against his his football character, which was always go with the big time, big arm, high profile quarterback. Yep, and when you look at that, that's where you won't always want to have the possibility for the competition there, and that's why a guy like yours, though, his landing spot here at Texas right now, it just it, the parallels between it and Chris Sims is so big. After year one, Mac Brown getting that just you know laser arm top consensus quarterback mm-hmm. that next season, and yours being able to be that. But in that situation, you didn't have Sims co- inheriting. Uh, nationally elite running back and nationally elite receiver. It was no. you needed Sims to be able to compile those guys yeah. and land Roy land uh, said so. You had more time for growing pains. This actually sets up even better for a guy like yours who is going to show up and have arguably you could say as good of a player at that position as any in the nation at running back and arguable possibly at wide receiver. So just to have that in addition to then being able to say ride that same wave Mm -hmm. that you rode with a guy like Sims back in 2000 and landing the Roy class or landing the said class, which then landed the next quarterback, which was VY, V-Y. and that's mm-hmm. why you want to get these elite-level players because they want to go and play with other elite-level players, and it's just something that Texas has been lacking. It's still been good at the recruiting level, but landing something like this is just another level. Life comes at you fast in the quarterback room in college football. Like Think back to the summer of 2020 when Quinn Ewers commits to Texas. And I remember Barton Simmons, uh, who is our uh, our director of scouting at 24-7 Sports, who's now basically in that general manager role at Vanderbilt for Clark Lee. Uh, Barton was putting together a list of the top quarterback rooms in college football, and Texas was, I think, either one or two. And at the time, it was Sam Ellinger, Hudson Card, Casey Thompson, Jaquindon Jackson, Quinn Ewers, and Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow was committed. And here we are. <laughs> Just over a year later, and you could be facing a scenario in the not-too-distant future where the only guy of those six that I just mentioned, the only guy who could still be standing at Texas is Quinn Ewers, the guy that ends up signing with Ohio State and coming back to you. Yeah. You no, know, quarterbacks, quarterback, this quarterback recruitment has, has always been weird. Even Chris Sims flipped from Tennessee. That was a big thing. From the, he flipped from the other UT. That was huge. To man. this UT. It was yeah. huge. It was yeah. big. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what Tim Brewster kind of made his, his name, right? It Tim kept Brewster. Eli away from being a longhorn. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, <laughs> that's yeah, what, that's what they say these days. I know, but it was Cutcliffe that ended up going. Yeah. Remember, Cutcliffe ended up going to Ole Miss, mm-hmm. and he was a family friend. I think that kind of really flipped it too. And plus, the, it the, closed the, the, the door. Family, you the can put it, it just ended it. Yeah. But you're, but, and that, but you're right. Oh, uh, Eli, Eli Manning did consider Texas. I mean, seriously. So, uh, fingers crossed for the Arch Manning. But um, getting back to quarterback recruitment, it's always been weird. Now you're just getting to the point. Now there's more accessibility. And the truth is, 
that is not a problem unique to Texas. Texas has to deal with it like everybody else. But you look around the country and you can study any quarterback room. Georgia. And you're going to – Georgia. Ohio State. Oklahoma. Any blue blood – Clemson has dealt with it. Any blue blood is going to have these issues. This is a more money, more problems situation where – you know, you got a lot of money. You got to pay a lot of taxes. It's a first world problem. You got if you're get, if you're bringing in a lot of blue chip five star quarterbacks. Hey, guess what? You're gonna have a lot of those guys leave and want to go elsewhere. It's a, it's a problem everybody wants to have. More money, more problems. Even so, though they've been down, exactly. USC's dealing with it. Like USC's think about with JT Daniels leaves because of Keaton Slovis. Now Keaton Slovis is getting pushed out <laughs> for Jackson Dart. Jackson Dart may get pushed out for Caleb Williams. It, I don't know. It's the nature of the beast now, man. It really is. Uh, it's, 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 VY once told me, hey man, you get all the girls, but you get all the grief. It's just the nature of the beast at quarterback. And, and, and bringing it back to Texas, Rod, I, I, I love your numbers. So in the post-Colt McCoy era, I don't know which guy you're missing, but I count 22 quarterbacks Texas has signed. I counted 21 since 2006. That was my number. Starting with the o, starter, so starting with the 06 class. Yeah, and without a Matthew Merrick or a Cole Lord in there. Okay, so I didn't count Cole Lord. Matthew Merrick was a scholarship guy, so he does. But count. I don't have him on y'all's page. He doesn't sign a letter of intent. On the day of signing yeah, some day. gray shirting so thing with that's, him that, Yeah, so that's why he doesn't count in mind. My world, the guys who okay. signed a natural over intent that day, he didn't sign. And even on your website, it says he didn't sign it. On your website, it says yeah, he right. just ends up enrolling at Texas. For every other player, it says... It says no, you're right. signed it was a national intent and then enrolled. It was an agreed gray shirt, something odd yeah. with Merrick so that's for why the he's next out. semester. And I, he went I included to the next him class. initially, but then after further research, I took Merrick out. And he just adds to the numbers. He was, was didn't he finish his eligibility. Yeah, here. so it, I'm so, I, go, I went off y'all website, so that's y'all. <laughs> Don't get on me. That's y'all. No, I, I can't. I've, so it doesn't say everybody else I looked at says you sign a letter of intent. It says it on the website for 24-7. Did not say it for him. That's why he was taken out of the study. Yeah, and I just remember set. when it happened, it was yeah. an odd technicality. So he may have gotten a, he got a scholarship later, but that so I I can't vouch for that. So I took him he out. Was a, he was a scholarship guy. He was a gray shirt. So yeah. that's, that's yeah, yeah. What but it, it says didn't say he signed a national letter of intent on the website. That's why I took he him didn't out. Didn't sign an NLI. He was okay. A he was so a that's why he got taken out. So that's why the numbers are off, and that's why he was out. So I we're all on the same page. Yeah, yeah, we're on the same page. But I didn't include it because of that. But that's like I said, that's because of y'all. And that, and <laughs> y'all, y'all should y'all should change it on the website. No, but it says right here like it's got the little gray shirt tab. I know, but then I didn't include gray shirts. Like why? I'm, why am I, I? To me, you have to be like the consider a quarterback coming in. To me, he was like a backup plan, contingency plan. Did he sign his letter of intent? Did he not? May not. Uh-uh. We can't go with all that. I'm going with guys who were recruited to play okay. quarterback at Texas, and they signed national intent as a quarterback. And it would um, only that's add why we to got the point okay. he did. Yeah, he was a gray shirt. Then I might as well include Cole Lord and everybody else. No, 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 we ain't doing all that. 21, that's why I, I got that number. Okay. So we can agree or disagree. Okay, I'm going to go with 22, but at, at the end of the day, it's not going to matter because he's going to fall in the same the same pile of guys regardless. Yeah, the point of it is the same. All yeah. right, so 20, 22 guys, Texas the, Texas has added 22 scholarship quarterbacks since Colt McCoy signed in 2005. Of the 22, you got one guy who was a multiple-year starter, basically won the job, had a stranglehold on it, and kept it pretty much his entire career, and that was Sam Ellinger. And Rod likes the number 21. So of those 22, yeah. <laughs> of those 22, you got one You got one multiple-year starter. You had two guys that stayed in the program, completed their eligibility at quarterback, started, but either were embroiled in quarterback controversies or didn't. They weren't multiple-year starters. They didn't win the job. And take a string of hard, but they did finish their eligibility at Texas at the quarterback position. And Jeff's favorite number is twenty-two for Emmett. That being Tyrone Swoops and Case McCoy. 
David Ashew had one medical redshirt. So basically you've got one that was a clear win, two that, eh, I don't know. David Ash was a medical redshirt, and we know the story of David Ash. Mm-hmm. Three guys finished their Texas careers changing positions. John Childs moved to receiver. Gerard Hurd moved to receiver. And unless Sark knows something we don't know, Roshan Johnson's going to finish his career at uh, running back. Yep. Twelve guys, whether they change positions, whatever, and Matthew Merrick falls in the spot. Twelve to twenty-two, just outright transferred. At yeah. some point, they they left, did not complete their eligibility at Texas, and then three of those guys are still in the program right now: Casey Thompson, Hudson Card, Charles Wright. So basically, the bulk of the quarterbacks of those twenty-two, you had fifteen of them, fifteen of them either transferred or changed positions. Some of them, both like Jalen Overstreet and Kyle Oxley, were guys that were recruited as quarterbacks changed positions, and then transferred anyway. So it's then it goes to 16 with a medical red shirt, and then two guys who they started some games but were never like the guy at Texas. Mm-hmm. So basically of the 22, you've got, uh, what is that, 18 guys. Hold on, my math is wrong here. 15, 16, yeah, 18 guys, 18 of the 22 who either were outright busts or the ceiling was, yeah, they started some games. Pretty much. And then you got Sam Ellinger and then the three guys that are still on campus. Yeah. No, just, I mean, it's it, – it's it, there, it just shows you, I think, the fragility of the quarterback um, position more yeah. than anything. That it's just really hard, specifically at, at Texas, um, to find a quarterback who can become a multiple-year starter for you for a number of different reasons. It could be injury, change positions, misevaluations – um, bad de- lack of development. It can be the uh, offensive identity crisis Texas dealt with. Whatever reason that one of those guys falls into as to why they didn't work out, maybe that guy just wants to transfer. Whatever reason it is, um, it's really tough to find a multiple-year starter at quarterback. It, and it's, you get the chicken and the egg type situation mm-hmm. with the program. You don't know if it's within the program not allowing these guys to be in advantageous situations, vice versa, how much the comp- quarterbacks have to do with it. Because look at, like, say, previous to that time period, you had all of them, even mm-hmm. like your Nordcos, but you had guys Nordco. like, yeah, Mac, or you had guys like Mock, uh, Sims, Applewhite, Vince, like everybody was finishing eligibility. So it's a bit of the times, but also the setting and then also the player. Yeah. So as far as the, as it relates to Quinn Ewers coming to Texas and how it impacts the quarterback room going forward in 2022, we talked about it on previous shows. Right, like if you're Steve Sarkeesian, you've been working under the impression, based on the fact that what you said at the end of the year publicly, which is in addition to whatever you've said to Hudson Card and Casey Thompson privately, you said after the K-State game that position did not play the way it needed to play for you to feel good about it. That job had to be open in the spring. Yep. So I think in Sark's mind he's thinking, look, these guys have competed for a whole year. We went through a whole season, and the job still isn't settled. Do these guys really want to go through and compete with each other again? In addition to new guys coming into the room, now you got more bodies coming into the competition, which means you got to divvy up more snaps. That's why I said this last week, and I still believe, even with Quinn Ewers, this is the case. Sark's going to keep kicking the tires on quarterbacks in the portal. I think in a perfect world, he would either like Casey Thompson to stay one more year, or if Card and Thompson leave, bringing a veteran quarterback, ride something you hit on a minute ago. So you just don't give Quinn Ewers the job. You at least make him earn it, have some kind of a buffer there. If he beats a veteran guy and wins the job, great. But you don't want to just by default make Quinn Ewers your starting quarterback. Well, I I think it's bad for the culture you're trying to build. You're trying to build a culture about competition, meritocracy. Mm -hmm. Even you you said one of the four things you look for in a quarterback is 
competitive spirit, right, that they really want to compete, uh, Quinn Ewers should have no problem coming down here wanting to compete to win that job. And, yeah, I mean, you want your, and you want it on display, right? You want him to win the job in front of the team. That's how he wins the locker room. You win the job because everybody, everybody's watching that practice going, that guy's better. Mm-hmm. That yeah. guy in his plate, that guy's better. That guy's better. Uh, that's just the reality. Of that is part of the organic, if you will, kind of movement that happens toward, you know, uh, almost appointing, if you will, or voting one guy to be the quarterback, QB1. So you want him to go out there and showcase. Yeah. And you want him to win the job. If he doesn't, you know, you and you have to declare him the quarterback. That is that's that's something you don't want to do. You did that this year. Yeah. Right? You declared that Hudson Carr's the guy. What happened? When when Mac declared that Sims was the guy in some trouble. Now sometimes you hit the nail on the head. You declare VY was the guy, boom, it worked. Yeah. Right? It was great. But most of the time you want that quarterback. You still have one on the job. roster. You need you one on the roster yeah, in the modern you, day. Like playing you don't want to have to make on a, on that a smaller On a smaller <clears throat> scale, Charlie did it with Gerard or with uh, Tyrone Swoops. Yeah. Going into 15. Yeah. And, we've and then just, immediately one week later, you realize you have to change quarterbacks. Yeah, you want that to organically happen. You don't, you, want, you don't want to call that as a coach. That means that, you know, that the quarterback competition, sometimes it's just too close to call. But sometimes it's too close to call because you don't have a actual QB one. You got two QB twos. Yes, <laughs> and, and that's you, why it's too close to call. Now it's nice <laughs> you need to have two QBs in the modern college football. I mean, you just look across the board. You mentioned the situation at Georgia right now, both with you know uh, one being a five star and then one being a serviceable college quarterback. But if you look back recent years with the Hurts to Tua, then Tua. To Hertz, they needed two both of those years for Alabama to be able to go and get into the playoff, one to win SEC game, mm-hmm. one to win in the title game. We saw what happened to Texas in 09 when Colt went down, and you can go through the laundry list of situations and places. I mean, to go full circle, look at what Colt McCoy was able to do at the pro level when Kyler Murray's out, and especially, yeah, you're recruiting some top-end offensive linemen, but you saw what this offensive line was able to do in game one through 12 this year, and it wasn't very good. So you don't know how good it's going to quickly tr- flip over game one, game two next year. I mean, you got some tough games to open the season next year. You got to have that unit working. One bad hit, you need, you're down to quarterback two. So you got to have two guys that you got to have trust that you can win, even if it isn't somebody like, say, Card and Casey want to transfer out to Jeff's point. The value of having that, you're only as good as your backup quarterback in one play away from it. I agree. Uh, Rod, anything else you want to add on Quinn Ewers before we move on and talk some offensive line? No. No, I'm, I'm, I think people are excited about it. I, I just think that um, you make sure that, like I said, it's a true competition. Don't, don't just start handing him the job. Everybody knows he's going to win the job. He's got a higher ceiling, but it'd be a mistake to just hand it to him prematurely. Yeah, and we saw Sark have to deal with that with Mac Jones and Bryce Young, and Mac yeah, Jones yeah, yeah. beat him out. Let me, let me ask you this because I, I heard this about Garrett Gilbert. And, look, Garrett Gilbert played in the NFL for a while oh, yeah. after he he's with the Patriots the right now. I was say he's still playing. <laughs> when you got and, when you're with up, the Patriots, still like, ended, ended up getting good. ended up getting drafted. You know, ended up getting drafted mm-hmm. uh, even after he left Texas. But I, I remember hearing from guys when he got on campus talking about man, the ball comes out. It's different coming out of his hand. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it sounds different. It looks different. Um, that's going to be the case with Quinn Ewers. I mean, he is the guys I've watched in this state play quarterback. I mean, it's him, you know, Matthew Stafford. Uh, Kyler Murray, those are probably the three guys I would put in that top group in terms of just the ability to just flat out fling the football. Mm-hmm. I mean, Andrew Luck, 
Andrew Luck was different, man. Andrew Luck was just one of those guys that almost it was almost boring watching Andrew Luck <laughs> as a high school prospect because everything was just so clean, so smooth. It yeah. was you almost took it for granted with mm-hmm. Andrew Luck. Yeah, you yeah, just made the right his decision all the time. Yeah. NFL career, like, like, that's what the right Andrew Luck is. Constantly. It was almost boring watching Andrew yep. Luck. It's not. Yep. It was not boring watching Stafford, Kyler Murray, and it's not boring watching Quinn Ewers throw the football. And the, I think the release will mind people a little bit of Philip Rivers, but you'll see a guy that can, you know, put balls in places just only a handful of guys can, and make throws that only a handful of guys can. Rod, those first few practices or seven on seven sessions, whatever it was, I guess it would have had to have been based on enrolling. It would have had to have been practice. Mm-hmm. When you got out on the practice field and watched Chris Sims throw the football, which honestly, if I'm if I'm comparing Quinn Ewers to anybody, he's probably he's got I think without question the most talented arm any Texas quarterback has had since Chris Sims. Yep. Did it sound different? Did it look different? Did it feel different watching that guy throw the football for the first time? Oh yeah. No, no okay. doubt. I mean, it's. I mean, that guy would uh, break fingers. I mean, Rip open forearms. I have friends tell me stories of the forearms he, being torn well, by laces <clears throat> trying to catch a ball. I know he separated a guy's shoulder allegedly at a <laughs> Notre Dame camp or something back in the day when he was coming up. I mean, you no, know, he's. It's, he had a a freaking hose, man. He could throw it, and you heard it coming, like when it was coming towards you. Um, and you tell him sometimes, like, dude, we're just doing drills. Like, calm down, mm. like, slow it down. You know what I mean? So, no, he had a gun. I mean, that's, but the thing about quarterback is it's not just about the cannon. Yeah, because yes, Gary Gilbert had that same cannon. cannon when you had it's it. great to have the cannon, man, but you also got to be able to process the information pre and post snap. Uh, you know, your pocket presence is big. I mean, look at Hudson Card. He's got the arm. He can make all the throws, but he doesn't have the pocket presence right mm-hmm. now, right? He's a little jittery in the, park, in the pocket. Um, you also got to know, you know, how to manipulate the defense um, with, with your eyes and with your movement, uh, all those little things. Man, there's so much stuff that goes into being a great quarterback. You said Andrew Luck made it look boring and easy because he, he did it all so effortlessly. And so Quinn Ewells will come in. Man, he's used to playing behind a great O-line with great coaching and with the best coaching and the best talent. Well, that ain't going to be the case here at Texas. Nope. You're going to play with some really good talent. You'll play with Bijan and you got X-Man, but you probably won't have access to the best O-line right off the bat, sure. right? You're going to have to improvise and make some plays in that regard, and maybe he's good at that, maybe he's not. How do you perform with pressure in your face? Maybe he's good at that, maybe it's not. We talk about Chris Sims. Chris Sims wasn't great uh, with pressure in his face, so people learned, all right, let's get pressure in his face as much as we can. All those things amount to being a great quarterback. So just because he's got all the raw materials, that's great. I love it. It's awesome. Um, but we all know we've seen this before. It doesn't necessarily mean he's going to end up being an all-time great quarterback yeah. here at Texas. And a lot of things got to work out for that to happen. And we talked about the lacking talented depth here at Texas, and that's sort of how you could explain those first years of the Max teams too. Even whenever it was more upperclassmen sims with the young, you had good top-end freshman receivers yep. or, you know, Benson as a freshman but you didn't have that full depth, and that's sort of what yours is going to have. You're going to have a top-end receiver, top-end running back. The roster makeup maybe reminds me of the same thing, but what happens if somebody gets injured, like the way that Mike Williams and said B go out in a game against mm-hmm. Colorado and stuff like that, and it's just a big drop-off. So that's where you hope Texas can stack these classes, plug holes with Transfer Portal, and then get lucky in the areas of – the variables of football that you can't control, the injuries, you know, the other type of situations where weird plays just cause, you know, malfunction. And if you can survive those things early on, it can set up to where maybe by the time he exhausts his eligibility, which I guess 
And technically, if he's three years removed from high school, he only he would be NFL eligible he, in two years, right? He, he reclassified. Yeah, yeah. So he has two years at Texas minimum. So you got to be able to go and get it going quick. Yep. Um, and that's always a slippery slope too when you're trying to project the guy. Well, I think he'll leave for the NFL after this, this certain draft number of years. Eligibility. I, I, at the risk of repeating what you just said, Rod, we talk about it all the time, and there, there's a big difference between how you look in a practice, how you look in a seven-on-seven setting, what happens when you step across that chalk line and you're behind center and there's 11 guys on the other side of the ball at a defensive coordinator that have planned all week how to make your life a living hell. Exactly. How do you react to yep. that? Yep. When it, and I hate the expression, but when the bullets start flying, when it's live, what do you do? Yeah. And, you don't know till then. And Smith Sark doesn't know. No, nobody nobody does. Nobody does. Even yours doesn't know. But – it's it's a hell it's a hell of a start. No, that's exactly right. Talk about the offensive line. That's the position that we we knew needed to be addressed in the offseason, and, and Sark had talked about needing to address it. And well, you talk about just how quick things can change, man. Texas, <laughs> you know, forever had two offensive line prospects, and man, I, it, it's funny how kind of impatient and panicky people get with recruiting. I go, oh man, <laughs> how's how Texas going to get all these? They, they don't have enough spots. They only got two offensive linemen, and what are you going to do? And Sark even said, look, we we can. He said, I think he said this before the K-State game. He was like, look, we can we can take five linemen now if we just wanted to take five. Mm-hmm. We want to take the right five. And guys, they're at five, and they're not done. Uh, the biggest commitment of the recent group was Kelvin Banks, a five-star offensive tackle out of Summer Creek and Humble. Think about this. He, in the history of the 24-7 sports composite, he's the second-highest rated offensive lineman this program has ever signed. Only Trey Allen was rated higher, yeah. and he comes in just ahead of Justin Blaylock mm. in terms of where Blaylock was ranked in the composite. So you, you, add, you add Kelvin Banks. You add Cameron Williams out of Duncanville, who he'll be playing in a state championship game against North Shore this weekend. He's a freak. Six, I mean, he's listed at like 6'5". I think, I think Duncanville lists him at 6'7", <laughs> and, and I don't think that's just – he's tall, he's long, he's 350-plus. And Nick Harris, Nick Harris, our recruiting reporter, Horns 24-7, if you need it, go to uh, Nick's Twitter handle, at Nick Harris 247. He's got a video of Cam Williams going through layup lines in AAU basketball games, dunking basketball. I saw that. Some some Sean Rogers stuff. 6'6 plus, 350 plus with an insane wingspan. Just a high upside guy. You pair him with Connor Robertson out of Austin Westlake. You pair him with Cole Hudson out of Frisco, two really good interior guys. And then one of the top interior offensive linemen in the country, and uh, Nitu Umea Zulu out of Allen. Uh, it seemed like he was leaning Oklahoma, but late Monday night he ends up picking Texas. You've got five. They're still chasing Devon Campbell from Arlington Bowie. They're still chasing uh, Malik Ogbo out of the state of Washington, who's going to make his decision on Wednesday. Rod, you talk about replenishing the talent pool, man. This this is how you do it. And I looked at it. I looked at the blue chips in this class. So right now, and well, this is going to be hard to follow. At 24-7 Sports, we got three different sets of rankings now. Okay. Okay? Damn. Getting deep. All related to the 24-7 Sports composite. You've got just the – just factoring in just your commits, okay. high school and JUCO guys. So in those class rankings right now, Texas has the sixth best class in the country. Okay. Then you've got just the transfer rankings based on just your portal class, mm-hmm. which with one guy, that would be Quinn Ewers. Texas has the fourth best transfer class right. in the country right now. And then your overall class, which includes your high school commits, your JUCOs, and your transfers. That's the one. Texas right now has the fifth best class in the country. Okay. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Four, six, seven. And mm-hmm. 16, six, if you count Quinn yours, there's 17 blue chip guys in this class. 10 of the 17 are line of scrimmage players, offensive linemen, interior defensive linemen, or edge guys. You want to get better along lines of scrimmage? This is how you do it. Yeah, it's been a long time since Texas prioritized the lines of scrimmage that much in a recruiting class. Charlie did it in the 16 class. Charlie did it, okay. He the 16 class was going to be one, was supposed to be one of those classes. Uh, and I'll just, I've got the names in front of me, I'll run it down. Patrick Hudson, mm-hmm. Gene DeLance on the offensive line, Jordan Elliott on the defensive line, Chris Daniels, Andrew Fitzgerald, J.P. Urquidez, Denzel Okafor, DeAndre Christmas, Marcel Southall, uh, let's see, Malcolm Roach, Gerald Wilbon, uh, and Zach Shackelford. So you load it up on both lines of scrimmage. But how many? if you're a casual Texas fan who just started following the program in the last two or three years, I'm running down some of those names, and you're like, who? Yeah, yeah, Never heard of half of those Malcolm guys. Malcolm Roach hit the league. Um, who was the other Elliot transferred out Jordan and Elliott made the lead. Up. Yeah, you're right. Getting drafted. Gene DeLance is maybe going to have a chance to to get into a camp you and make a team. you got some good program he's, guys like Shackelford, but not Denzel Okafer stuck around for you for a while. At least you he's got some like starting reps out of him. him. That's crazy. Um, he still was, he was Yeah, he was still with the team, technically. <laughs> that, was, that just that shows, like, Charlie, all of her. I mentioned Tope Amade. Tope Amade was so part of his class, too. So, you got too. another one. So, you got, con- uh, you got a couple of contributors. You said and, Roach, right, Rod? Yeah, yeah, Malcolm Roach. You said that, right? Yeah, so, I mean, that's... Uh, listen, obviously, talent development has been the biggest issue here in Texas, and it's great to get in these stellar classes, and I'm glad they're prioritizing lines of scrimmage. You are going to the SEC in a couple of years. So, you do that, basically, this... Recruiting class should be your 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 depth chart pretty much uh, for your lines of scrimmage in in a couple of years when you go to the SEC. But talent development is the biggest issue here. Talent acquisition is great. Glad they're getting the offensive linemen, and they needed the offensive linemen. I know people want to give Kyle Flood a lot of credit. I'll give him credit too. But listen, the Pancake Factory is probably what should be given the most credit. <laughs> it's pretty yeah, easy to recruit when you're hurt. Yeah, I nope. the Pancake Factory is doing a lot to help Kyle Flood. I know Kyle Flood's doing a good job. That's why we say benefits of being Texas. Yeah, boosters and donors, give them a shout-out as well because they're doing their part. Uh, but talent development, that's the biggest issue. So when you're coming off five and seven and you're, you're, you're able to manufacture this type of momentum, you're doing it because of the new landscape of college football, because of the transfer portal, the one-time uh, you know, transfer without penalty waiver, also the, the unprecedented historic coaching carousel. Thank you, Mario Cristobal. Uh, mm-hmm. And also name, image, and likeness, Main right? Ideas. The Pancake Factory getting out there. Thank you, Darren Ravel, for making it a national story because we don't know how much the coach can use in recruiting, but as long as the players and the parents know, that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. So all those things are helping you after five and seven still be able to get this type of elite talent in a top five recruiting class, and that's great. But you have not changed the narrative yet. The narrative is Texas doesn't develop talent. In the that's the narrative. World. You haven't changed that narrative. All you did was break out the legal bags mm-hmm. and you started throwing them up and making it rain. And we're all happy about legal that. Legal sure but at one, But the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams size, Cardi B size, but is this won't last for long because in a matter of months, every big time program around the country will have their own pancake factory and they'll have their own horns with hearts and they'll have their own Clark Field Collective. So your advantage that you have is great and I'm glad you're taking advantage of it right now and maximizing this opportunity. But the truth is, is Advantage will not last long, and then they will go back to the narrative, the mm-hmm. narrative, the narrative, which is Texas doesn't develop talent. So change the narrative. You don't like people are saying, change the conversation. The conversation is Texas doesn't develop talent, and once you're done developing, develop, de- delivering these bags of money to these young men, that's great because they deserve it, all right, you still want to develop this damn talent. Yeah. So that's what you got to do. 
And that's what Kyle Flood needs to do. That's what Sark needs to do. If they don't do that next two years, we'll be back here living this Groundhog Day all over again. Yep, you got to fix the football. That's, that's the one the thing. Issue. Like we always talk about riding that wave of momentum that you get with a new hire. Every coach has it. We always sit there and wonder how is Texas going to recover from it. But like every single coach we've seen. When they come in, they get that wave, and it is there. But the problem is you've had that little schism, and you've had the football not be fixed. Mm -hmm. And that's when it comes back around. That's what the other teams can show, and they can go and be like, well, look at this Rolodex of players, and nobody has them in the league. Meanwhile, we're producing talent left and right. And you look across the league, they get the production. Now we have our whole atmosphere around Texas has been such elevated over the last 15 years, Mm -hmm. and it's so much different than it used to be. It used to be Texas was the one being like, oh, yeah, but if you want to go to the pros, you come here. Nowadays, you have other schools coming to Texas and telling the players that. And that's one thing that you have to fix, the football fix. It's just when you get this wave, and then if you can finally get the results on the field and win, then you can start to do the thing that Mac did was stack classes. And he stacked those classes from 99 through 06, and that was about the time when you started to see that second level fall off for the first time ever. But if you can get that first momentum and winning, it really can start to really fill itself out, and all you got to do is develop football. Yep. So – the other part of that, though, Rod, and I think people lose sight of this. We talk about this all the time. We talk about it with Tom Herman's classes. It's great if you have a top five class. It's awesome. You got to do that every year. Mm-hmm. You can get to where you want to be. You got to do that every year. So, yeah, it's, it's, I take nothing away from Kyle Flood. I'll get to some numbers here in just a second to show you how good this is. But you got to get back to where – I think the, the problem at Texas – we talk about, again, player development and then the tentacles that reach out from that. I think one of the problems that happens is the only guy that didn't do this was Charlie mm. because Charlie didn't win enough early to, to fall into this trap. Yeah. Tom Herman fell into this trap. Mac fell into this trap at some point. At some point, complacency sets in. Mm-hmm. And you feel like, you know, we've got it rolling so good. And whether you mean to or not, you take your foot off the gas. Yeah. And you lose sight of the fact that you might be good at this position. Basically, you've got to treat almost every position on your roster like quarterback. Mm-hmm. The minute you think you're good, that's the minute you run the risk of falling off. Yeah, sure. You're going to take – I think Texas is probably going to end up with seven offensive linemen in this recruiting class. That's awesome. Okay? It's great. I love it. I've always been of the opinion in a two-year period, you, you in some way, shape, or form, you should take, at a minimum, seven and upwards of nine. So if you take four one year, take five the next year. If it only works out to where it's four and four and that's eight, you're in that sweet spot. Texas probably needs to turn around next year and take another four offensive linemen and then another four or five after that. Yeah. And and right now it, it's a little bit of Robin Peter to pay Paul. There is not a position other than running back, as long as B. John Robinson is in, the pro, is in this program, there is not a position on your roster that can't stand to be upgraded. I agree with that. And, I mean, you still can add depth. So And like, that doesn't get fixed with one year. That yeah. doesn't get fixed with one recruiting cycle. I agree with that. And that's where the hunger comes in. It's why you hear, yeah. like, the stories of, say, Belichick and never appreciating people like Brady or along the lines because he keeps the hunger and the fight and the competition there. It's the same reason when Saban won his first championship at Bama. He gets on the plane with the boosters, and each, all the boosters are happy, and Saban's telling him, I need, I need this. this. I need yeah. this. I need this. Because he – knows that that fall-off's there, and it mm-hmm. took Saban fe- 
failing out with the Browns and stuff to have that edge to never want to lose it again. And there's that same feeling that Belichick had then, and it's why people would say, like, yeah, he didn't appreciate me, but it's because he knows that he has to keep that edge on those players and the people at the top are able to do that and get that environment that they build. But it's also those rare situations very rarely do you have that happen like we even it looked like usc could never fall off with what they were building before texas mm-hmm. beat them but then it's like by 08 after like the sanchez year when when with carol like it quickly fell off a cliff and texas did the same thing and you don't see these things coming and it's why there's only a very few situations that you can use as examples where they actually are able to do such things he's successful nick saving calls it yeah rat poison yeah <laughs> So I went and looked at the 24-7 sports composite based on what I just talked about, kind of the need to just you constantly replenish the offensive line. Oh, yeah. It's the Tom Herman Golden Gate Bridge analogy. Once you paint it and you get to one, and then you realize, oh, well, we got to start painting the whole damn thing again. Mm-hmm. You just start over. Yep. So I went and looked at it. The previous five recruiting cycles, so this will be 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, uh, who signed the most 24-7 sports composite five-star offensive line prospects. Tell me if you notice a trend here. Georgia with six, Ohio State with five, Alabama with four. There's an outlier, Tennessee with three, Clemson with two, Wisconsin with two, uh, Stanford with two, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Auburn, and Oklahoma with one each. Yeah. The SEC likes their old linemen. They're big yeah. linemen. <laughs> if you're going to the SEC, you're going to play football in the SEC, you better start, uh, you know, beefing up. And I start think that's filing. what Texas is doing. They're starting to beef up. So I'm with you. I think they'll probably decide, you know what, no, let's go. Let's attack the O-line and the D-line for the next two classes before we go to the SEC. Because some some of these guys, if you look at some of these composite five-stars, like pretty much everybody in the 2021 class, mm-hmm. those guys didn't have to play because of where they're at. J.C. Latham and Tommy Brockermeyer. J.C. Latham was a backup at Alabama. Tommy Brockermeyer redshirted. Uh, Ardarius Mims at Georgia was a backup. Tristan Lee at Clemson was a backup. Nolan Rucci at Wisconsin was a redshirt. Uh, 2020, Paris Johnson Jr. at Ohio State, they kicked him inside the guard just to get him on the field. Broderick Jones at Georgia is now a starter at left tackle. And then you go to 2019, Evan Neal at Bama, All-American, probably going to be a first-round pick. Kenyon Green at A&M, All-American, probably going to be a first-round pick. Charles Cross at Mississippi State, all SEC might be the first offensive tackle taken in the draft. So it, you're going to have to – I hate rushing young offensive linemen and getting them on the field early, but I think if, if you let these guys compete and they win jobs, you have to you have to do it and, and let these guys grow into the position yeah. and kind of get back in this vicious cycle of playing offensive linemen early with the hope that if you do recruit talent and develop it the right way, that eventually you can break that cycle and get to the point where – you can bring in a five-star guy and say, hey, bud, we don't need you to play right now. You just sit behind Kelvin Banks, who's got one more year, then he's going to go to the NFL and be a multimillionaire. Then you can get in that mix and, and work at left tackle. Yeah, that's what Bama's doing with Brockamar. It's like, oh, you good. Just uh, go lift some weights and eat for a while. <laughs> no, it is. I'm with you. I mean, that's um, one of those concerning things that, yes, if you bring in Kelvin Banks and he is hopefully those guys can come in early. You got these guys to come in during the spring, and it can be early enrollees. If yeah, that's the that's the one downside I mean, to Banks is he is not an early enrollee. Yeah, uh, that would help if these guys are going to play right away. But if you bring in Kelvin Banks, a guy like that, and he ends up being, you know, one of your top five to eight offensive linemen, which I think we all anticipate he will be. He plays. Mm-hmm. You don't have the choice. You don't have the luxury of sitting a guy with that kind of talent. You just don't. 
So I just want to run down some of these names real quick, and I can go through all of them if you guys want me to, but I looked at tackle specifically. That's what Kelvin Banks is going to come in and play at Texas. He's going to come in right away and compete for a spot at tackle. And, Rod, I'm of the opinion now that other than quarterback, offensive tackle is the hardest position to recruit right now because most most of your high school offensive tackles are going to kick inside at the next level. Yeah. And if you're going to get an, an, a legit offensive tackle, you've got to do one of two things. And I think what I'm about to run down will prove it. You've either got to get an Evan Neal, an Alex Leatherwood, a guy like that that is ready-made right now to just come in and play tackle at a high level. He's yes. that he's that highly touted of a recruit. Or you got to find you a Connor Williams or a Sam Cosme and develop that guy and hope two, Project. three years down the road yeah. he's, he's an NFL caliber tackle. Yeah, both are tough. I looked at it starting with 2009, the guys Texas took that in the 24-7 sports database were ranked as offensive tackles, right? Mason Walters, all 51 of his career starts were at right guard. Peyton Kelly, no starts, uh, ended up giving up football after his second year at Texas. Uh, Texas took no offensive tackles in the 2010 signing class, none. Trey Hopkins, of his uh, 13 of his 29 starts in his career were at, uh, were at offensive tackle. Mm. Um, so he played the bulk. Garrett Greenlee, no starts, medically disqualified. Josh Cochran, 23 starts, medically retired. Mm-hmm. Marcus Hutchins, who you took as a guard, all 15 of his career starts were at offensive tackle. Taylor Doyle, who was a tackle coming out of Lake Travis, uh, 20 career starts at center, three at guard. You notice in a pattern here. Kennedy Estelle, nine starts at mm-hmm. tackle, dismissed from the team. Cameron Hughes, six starts, dismissed from the team. Donald Hawkins, 24-game starter, left tackle, got a cup of coffee in the NFL. Yeah. Kent Perkins, 34 starts, 22 at guard. Desmond Harrison, no starts, dismissed from the team. Darius James, who you took as a guard, two career starts, both at tackle. He ends up transferring out. Boy, we don't give this guy enough credit for being a utility guy. Elijah Rodriguez in 2014, 10 starts at right guard, one at left guard, five at center, two at left tackle. Uh, Connor Williams, 28 starts in his career, all at left tackle, second-round pick. Brandon Hodges, nine starts at right tackle, transferred. Buck Major, no starts. Uh, ends up medically disqualified. Tristan Nicholson, 12 career starts, 9 at tackle, coming out of JUCO. J.P. Urquidez, no starts, gra- left as a graduate transfer. Gene DeLance, no starts, transferred out of the program. Derek Kerstetter, who you took as a guard, 49 starts, 35 of them at tackle. Sam Cosme, 34 starts, all at tackle, second-round pick. Calvin Anderson, 14 starts, all at tackle, ends up playing in the NFL. Junior Angelau was a tackle. All 34 of his starts have come at guard. Reese Moore, no starts. Transfer. Rafiti Gramayat kicked inside. No starts. Has recently hit the portal. Mikey Grandy, no starts. Medically disqualified. Christian Jones, all 22 of his starts have come at tackle. Willie Tyler from junior college, no starts. Transferred out. Javon Shepard, no starts. Transferred out. Isaiah Hookfin, no starts. And given the motorcycle accident, I don't know what you can expect from him. Uh, Tyler Johnson, one start at guard, and it looks like he's done in the program. Andre Carrick, two starts at tackle. Jalen Garth, no starts yet, and no starts for Hayden Connor or Max Merrill. Boy, when Texas does it right at offensive tackle, they do a pretty good job. Donald Hawkins, Connor Williams, Sam Cosme. I'll even throw Derek Kerstetter in there, who gave you a lot of starts at tackle. Boy, there's a lot of guys in there that didn't do a whole heck of a lot in this program at offensive tackle. It just proves your point that it's um it's really tough to evaluate that position. First of all, there are not that many human beings out there yeah. that are that gargantuan that can move as athletically as you use your left tackle to to block some of these hybrid freak outside linebacking defensive end pass rushers, right? Uh, then up the other side of that is okay, you can 
try to have some projects like Sam Cosme or Connor Williams, that's just as difficult. Mm-hmm. Because you may spend a lot of developmental time and resources on this young man and realize, damn, he's just he's not a tackle. He's yeah. a guard or a right tackle at best, not a left tackle. So I, I think either way, it's just one of those really difficult positions. To Christian Jones is in that weird area right now. Yeah, but you just don't know. Well, and those tackle numbers, I mean, that directly correlates to the quarterback situation with all those transfers, it and it's exactly why at the top of NFL drafts, what go there? It's the le- the ta- left tackles, your quarterbacks, and then the guys the tackles Pass are blocking. Yes, yeah, so, like, it's just, I mean, it's directly correlated, the success of one, it helps the other. If there's one that's lacking, it hurts the other, and it's also why the next level envies them more than anything. Yeah, you gotta you got to have to approach you to do both. You have to have some where you have as projects and some guys where you're bringing in, hopefully, if you're Texas, mm-hmm. that, that literally have that upside of a Kelvin Banks. That, no, he just he is a left tackle. He projects as an NFL left tackle. Like We talk about that 2002 signing class all the time with that offensive line class of Justin Blaylock and Casey Studdard and Lyle Sinline. Those guys didn't have to play right away, though. Yep. Same with, had, like, say, Tony Hills was a right. tight end. You, yeah. had, right. you had a Derek Dockery. You had a Robbie Doan. You had guys in front of them that – were no, not a lot of those guys. Derek Dockery played in the NFL for a Derek long time. Played in the league. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Rod, you had a bunch of those guys you played with. They were oh, just, they weren't great players. They were just good, solid players. Solid, gave you multiple year starters. starters. Yeah, for you. I remember those guys. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, that's what you need. You just need a little bit of time where you can justify. All right, I'm going to cultivate and develop these guys. If you bring in those young offensive linemen, and then you look around the offensive line room and you go. These two freshmen are two of my best eight, mm-hmm. period. They are. Then you can't justify sitting them. You can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a coach, you'd be it's coaching malpractice. Exactly. Right? If that guy's one of your best, they got to play. Yep. So that's the unfortunate thing that Kyle Flood's got to deal with. That yeah. Some of those young guys, one, maybe two, they might have to contribute right And away. that was the one different part where back when we were talking about the Sims and the makeup of that roster, it actually had some solidified offensive linemen they did. when he came in. That's oh, one yeah. thing where it's a little bit the yeah, inverse. First rounders on that line. It's yeah, the inverse. Davis and Mike Williams. <laughs> it's the inverse of this yeah. situation. You have yep. the skill guys, but you don't necessarily have the line it's whenever true. Sims had the line but didn't have necessarily right. the skill guys yet. Yeah. That's Take- what makes like the 19 and 20 seasons for Texas so frustrating because if you look at the <laughs> eight, you look at that 2018 offensive line you bring in calvin anderson as a stopgap who did a hell of a job mm-hmm. the one year he was here you. still in the league. by the way still cashing checks still in the national in the football league. league and you found you found something to sam cosme freshman all-american who mm-hmm. they kind of just remember the, the maryland game they just kerstetter was having some problems they put cosme in there and then we realized like oh dude he, he can play a little bit never looked back never looked yeah and ended up getting drafted in the second round and Zach Shackelford was in year three as a starting center, and you you started to form the pieces of, hey, man, this offensive line is getting competent. And with the way they were recruiting at the time, with that 18 class I just talked about, with Junior Angulao and uh, Christian Jones and Reese Morris, like, okay, they're starting to find some guys. And just the lack of development, as always, the bottom fell out, and then you got absolutely – it, like it looks like you're going to go 0 for 4 potentially for various reasons on your 2019 offensive line class. Wow. It's Tyler Johnson, I don't think I think he's played his last down at Texas. Hookfin, I don't know if yeah. he definitely definitely you can't count on him in 22 and I don't know if you can count on him again. The young man's got a hell of a path back to the field if he's yeah, going to make it back. Exactly. Javon Shepard and Willie Tyler like you you're running the risk of now 19 you get nothing out of that offensive line class. That now is... you're 
it, that's brutal. That's why Matt and I came up with the bus rate stuff, man. It, it takes one, just one god awful year, and you're right back to square one. Yeah, but if there's any time to be able to counter uh, those kind of negative factors that contribute to a bus class, it'd be now in the new landscape of college football with the transfer portal, with the one-time uh, transfer without penalty waiver. Uh, also, you know, honestly, with NIL, the way it is now. Texas, I hate to say it, there is, it's never been a better time to rebuild a program. Yeah, true. And the other thing I'll add to that, Rod, because I want to get to the Gary Patterson stuff before we get out of here. Uh, when you look at how, again, I mentioned this earlier, when you look at this roster, the way it's constructed right now, the way they're building it, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul a little bit. Yes, you're building your lines of scrimmage. Yeah. And yes, you're loading up a quarterback. But like the 2023 class, now you need to attack. Think, okay. Secondary. Safe, safety is on the cusp of being a massive. We haven't even talked about B.J. Foster, which we kind of expected him to move on. Chris Adamore enters the transfer portal. Safety all of a sudden is a really big hole as we sit here right now on the verge of National Signing Day. Agreed. And, and maybe you can add, look, maybe if you – if you flip a Terrence Brooks from Ohio State, if you add a Denver Harris from North Shore, maybe you can move a Jade Barron to safety and switch some things, change some things around in the secondary. But at some point, safety, inside linebacker is one of those positions. Wide receiver is a position. Hopefully with Quinn Ewers that at 23, you could attract some nationally top guys. So I think we can agree, man, receiver is one of those positions, Rod, where a young guy can come in and play right away. We just, we just saw it with Xavier Worthy. It's also a good place for portal players. That's very true. Yeah. Well, you'll get Troll Miri back, and, and you'll have Jordan Whittington, but you can't trust that those guys are going to last the entire season, mm-hmm. unfortunately. So you have to almost assume that those guys are going to get hurt. And yeah, like you said, though, it's the perfect time period to be able to you know build a program, and it's sort of just the variance and luck factor. It's like, yeah. yeah, this wasn't around for, say, Charlie or Max Redo or even for Herman. And, yeah, but it's nobody to blame. It's like you got this situation now. Take advantage of it. Yep. Rod got me down a Matthew Merrick rabbit hole while we were doing the show, by the way. So I had to figure out, like, what the hell happened? Like, well, how did that whole no, thing I only went off y'all's site. As I said, I only went off y'all, and I went and looked at all the National Letter of Intent signings. And when I didn't see it for him, I was like, I'm not right. going to include him. Because I just didn't know. I remember the gray shirt thing, and I was like, I'm not even. I was like, yeah, I remember so that very odd thing happening. Was, I remember the weirdness, and I'm like, why did they even recruit Matthew Merrick? We had this discussion on the show. Well, you know we were why like, they did? It made us be like, was, I don't well, think no, they like him. He was tight, yeah. with, he was tight with Kyler Murray. Oh, okay. Well, they're trying to get Kyler in the door. I got you. (laughs) And I almost landed him. Kevin Murray's his private quarterbacks coach. Okay, there you go. All right. I was like, like, I'm not including him because obviously they they weren't high on him. He did sign the National Letter of Intent on the day. But to your point, to your point, to your point, that's basically one fewer two and done transfer that we take out of the equation. And so I just basically, love that y'all were stuck on your favorite numbers, your jersey number and his favorite number for Emmett. No, no, 21 no, just, and 22. I, 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 just, I don't know what a, I don't even know how gray shirts work. So I was like, I Well, and what's 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 weird is so he came to Texas as a gray shirt then in that fall of 15 they actually ended up putting him on scholarship. He just never signed in NIL. So, Which, but like, we I, just I had a look a few yeah. years after we had I a do a few I years after we had way a too much about Matthew Merrick good today. Lord, seriously. A few years after we had a, a Duke Thomas argument that was pretty forgettable. 
Yeah, you know, having the, a Matthew Merrick the Matthew argument. Merrick debate. Good lord, he'll never be out of kind of want to. where he is now? What was the Duke Thomas? Oh, it was him playing receiver in that spring Mac, ball. Mac wanted him to play receiver, right? Was, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember which side snaps. of the argument. No, we I was were like, on. he doesn't need to play receiver. He can barely play DB. <laughs> what the hell y'all talking about? He's not Charles Woodson. What That's the right. hell? He did the same thing with Deshaun James when he came in. Maybe yeah. he can play receiver. Look at him playing corner. All right, <laughs> let him focus on corner. Okay, yes, agreed. Good lord, they're not champ. Bailey out there. We get that problem, then we'll put him out there. Yeah. He's Terrence Newman, my guy. You know, let's put him at wide receiver. Of all, real quick though, of all the DBs that have come through this program, Nathan Vasher and Earl Thomas are the two I can think of right off the top of my head that could have played offense. Nasty Nate definitely could have played offense. Earl, yeah. Tom, Earl Thomas could have. Earl Thomas probably could have. I know Nasty Nate could have, though. Yeah, he was twitchy like that when he came in. He came in as an athlete anyway, playing offense out of high school, playing all, everything. Trying to think if there's a I'm, no, it ain't, sure it ain't that many. It I'm sure I'm forgetting. It's not as somebody. many as you think that could easily transfer over like that. That's a rare skill. Qua- Quandre, oh, Quandre could have done it. I don't know if Quandre's got the straight line speed to enough. do it though. You don't think so? No, I know you think that, but I, he's faster in the secondary because of his instincts. Straight line speed. Go look at him. I think he runs like a like a, a high four five. Or something yeah, right there. Okay. Like he's not, and he's you know what I mean like he's not, and he's not super twitchy. He's twitchy, not, yeah. He's not super twitchy like you give him the football okay. in space and he turns into, you know, Deuce Vaughn or anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, DJ Monroe was <laughs> that because he came in as a sen- as a cornerback, but it was like he's too small to play on either side, just return kicks. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. They, I mean, Aaron Williams? Aaron Williams uh, he Aaron probably Williams? could have. Maybe he could have, yeah. I could see him on side because he was long and rangy. He was a good athlete. Yeah, yeah but to, to your point, Rod, yeah. Not a lot of those guys. Yeah, you like can count that. them on one hand the yeah. number of guys that yeah. could have done it. And they I were know. trying to turn Duke Thomas and Deshaun Jameson into Charles Woodson. Yeah, come on. Um, Can't never yeah. try to do that. It's not going to happen. A, you, know that, you know what that is? That's a, that's a dang coaching mistake. That's a dang yes. coaching mistake. What, what may not be a dang coaching mistake is Gary Patterson trying to roll in this Texas staff, and we've only got a couple minutes here to discuss it. So um, I actually – my byline's on it, but it's a staff report at Horns 24-7. We dropped it on Monday morning. Uh, he's expected to be in Austin by the end of the week, meeting with Pete Kwiatkowski and the defensive staff to see if there's a fit there. And it sounds like basically the role he, that Gary Patterson carved out for Jerry Kill to, for lack of a better term, it sounds like he's just kind of CEO. Jerry Kill was like CEO of the offense. Mm. He had everything except like pretty much everything except play calling autonomy. Okay. Everything, went through Jer- uh, everything went through Jerry Kill. So it sounds like that would be kind of the role for Gary Patterson. He wouldn't be one of the ten full-time assistants, but he wouldn't be an analyst just sitting around crushing film either. He would be... Like I said, basically kind of like the, the defensive czar. I don't know what the hell title you would put on it, but it okay. sounds like, at least right now, that would be the role. Yeah. So he'd be he'd be ahead of Pete Kwiatkowski? Would, he, would Pete Kwiatkowski have to answer to him? Te- my understanding. That would be the – the question is, is, is he Pete Kwiatkowski's boss? Is he PK's boss? That's what we need to know. My, are, they, are they peers in My understanding, based on the way the Jerry Kill thing worked, everything went through him. So he would – PK would have to answer. I the think. So. I mean, scenario. if it's the exact same role, okay. then then yeah. But this is yeah. this is a quote from Jerry Kill when does he was describing his role at TCU. I coach the coaches. I watch the film with them. Go over all the techniques, everything we're doing. I can be there during game day, make recruiting suggestions. I can do anything off the field and during practice. I can be on the field. You can coach a lot and not have to say anything. 
He's that old head guy that we've been talking about a program needing. You yeah, know? no, I like Gary Payton. I'm just I'm wondering about tension within the coaching staff. That's sure. why I think this this meeting Definitely. at the end of the week is like massive. we heard about the problems Fedora had at Baylor last year, and that's yeah. why he had to I mean, be out the door. You know, yeah. no, I totally. I've been just concerned about yeah that I know the coaches are very prideful, mm-hmm. and I know Gary Patterson when he's given you know autonomy <laughs> to run something, mm-hmm. he's going he's going to run it his damn way. Mm-hmm. And Roll with the iron fist. Exactly. And PK was brought in as the defensive coordinator. And if he's going to be calling the plays, he's going to believe that he's got, you know, authority. And that, that could clash. And that could end up being That's bad. Why this, is, this is big for Sark, man, to make yeah. sure if you're going to do this. Who decides thing, who plays? Who decides who plays? Is Sark decides who plays? Because Sark's running the offense. He's not worried about the defense. Who decides who plays? That's also, you can't give one guy that dude say, one guy's calling the plays and the other guy decides who plays. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, they if all I'm calling the plays, I need to who I'm calling the plays for. Mm-hmm. And on the front end, they yeah. all got to want this to even be a possibility. Yeah. And the, yeah. the dispersion of power, but maybe this is a way to fix something that was problematic last Could year. Could be, but so. you got to watch the delegation here, man. That's going to be crucial. You Big delegating time. the responsibility. And then you have to come in as the tiebreaker, Sark, sometimes when they're this disagreeing. Is- very different scenarios. This is no different than what we talked about with Tom Herman and the eyes of Texas deal last year in terms of, okay, on paper, here's, here's what the deal is. If you end up bringing Gary Patterson into this deal, you better have a plan and make it crystal clear to both guys who's doing what. Mm-hmm. I guess the better way to put it is when Mac hired Benny Wiley as a strength coach but kept Mad Dog. Mm-hmm. There was never any clear designation on who was doing what, who was in no. charge, and it just ended up being a cluster. Yeah. And nothing got accomplished. Agreed. Sark better – if you're going to do it, you've got to make crystal clear to both of these guys. These are your responsibilities. These are your responsibilities. And here's how we're going to handle the gray area in the middle. Not, and we'll cross that bridge when we get there. No. Here's all the stuff that can fall in the gray area, and here's how we're going to handle it. Responsibilities, power structure, everything on the front end has to be definitely communicated. You better. And, again, what we're talking about right now could be all moot, but this this thing's got legs, man. It's got legs. It's the first time I've felt like, okay, it could, it could realistically happen. Yeah. I mean, just make, like I said, make sure that they understand who's in, like, whose authority they, like, they answer to. Like who who's got yep. who's got the final say? Because like I tell you, coaches like to do stuff their way. They all that's why there is a hierarchy that exists and the defensive coordinator usually calls the shots. And now you got another guy that's gonna call the shots ahead of him. Um yeah. I mean it could be awesome, but it also could be an effing disaster. Because everybody knows how Gary Patterson is. Well, you talk about convoluted titles. Jerry Kill's title at TCU before he became the interim head coach was special assistant to the head coach in charge of offense. <laughs> yeah, seriously. The assistant, the assistant to the assistant. Yeah, the special assistant to the assistant. The Dwight Schrute. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I, like I said, I'm happy. I want Gary Patterson on the staff in some way, but uh, don't get it twisted. This could be a very volatile situation if it is not handled delicately, and that's why if I'm Sarg, um, I just make one of those guys in charge. Like, no, it's PK. PK runs the show. You and you advise PK and you help PK. You assist PK. That's it. But he runs the show. Or no, Gary's running the show. It's Gary's show. All right. Gary decides whatever happens here. Gary is the final say on every damn thing. Y'all got a problem with that? Come talk to me later. Yep. Like, you, you, you communicate you got, and you, got to do one day. you start dividing up. Well, he's gonna decide personnel. 
He's gonna call the plays, and he's like, ah, no, 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 no. He's the pass game coordinator. Like, now you got four or five different cooks in the kitchen. That ain't gonna work. If if it goes back to what the Tom Herman offense was, and I've got to hear the word collaborative play calling out one more time exactly. that term, I'm I'm gonna just snap. <laughs> I'm gonna lose it. Yeah, exactly. We all would. I don't want any more collaborative Mm-mm. stuff. Nope. I want. Bu- I want to know where the damn buck stops. Damn right. <laughs> The hit Paramount Plus original docuseries returns. The last time I saw Max, he looked at us laughing, and then everything changed in a blink of an eye. My feeling as a detective is that he was murdered. Yahoo Entertainment calls it a spine-chilling docuseries, showcasing real-life tragedies. What if it was your child who went missing? We need to know the truth. Never seen again. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Damn. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, be appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother. Anytime. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260. Streaming on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B each and every weekday on RBKD from 3 to 7. Same as book. You can also catch myself and Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcast. Click the follow button to get every episode of the flagship State of Recruiting and Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where the roommates This is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.